Praise the Lord, everyone. And it is so good to be here tonight to see all of you. Nice to see my my good friend, Brother Tim Duke, is way in the back. We we worked together for a couple of years in St. Louis. Had a real good time. And I, I like what I feel here tonight. And not only do I like what I feel, but I recognize what I feel. Some folks don't recognize what they feel. I talked to a man one time, and he had a great big swollen half of his face. And one eye just about closed, and a big old black circle around it. And uh, his other eye all bloodshot. And he told me, he said, he said, I really had a good time last night. <laughs> what he told me. I said, how you know? He said, man, he said, I, I went, and, went into this bar and, and I got in a fight and I woke up and woke up this morning in jail. But he said, I, I had a blast. I said, man, you don't even know who won the fight. In fact, I think you lost it the way you look. But I'm glad that not only do I feel something, but I, I know what I feel. I recognize what I feel. Appreciate his nearness and his closeness. Appreciate the fellowship that we have with, with one another and, and with him. There's so many good things and so many wonderful things that we are enjoying now. And it's, it's really, really fun to be, to be walking with God. Somebody asked me, said, uh, said, you're a preacher? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, what kind are you? I said, one of the best. She said, oh, I don't mean that. And what I meant was that I tried to behave myself, you know. She said, I don't mean that. She said, uh, are you, you Catholic? I said, you know better than that. And one of the other ladies said, are you Baptist? And I said, no way, am I Baptist? And then somebody said, and I couldn't see them, they were behind me. Somebody said, that man speaks in tongues. And I said, you're right. That's the kind I am. Amen. 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 Good to see Brother and Sister King here tonight. I didn't realize that they sang so beautifully until, until I come all the way out in Oregon to hear them sing. But uh, God bless you for your patience and your attentiveness last night. Appreciate it so much. I want to read to you while you're standing. I want to read to you from the first chapter of First Peter. And I'll read the 18th, 19th verse. Maybe the 20th. For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, 
from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And I'd like for you to notice these few words found in verse 19. It said, But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And I want to preach to you tonight a old, old story, but I hope that the Lord will help me to, to make it become fresh and new and alive in our minds and in our lives tonight. But I, I have been preaching this sermon for about two weeks, and I can't get it off my mind. And, and uh, I'd like to, if the Lord will help me, I'd like to share with you what, what he has given to me in just the last couple of weeks. But I want to preach on the subject, the precious blood. The precious blood. Peter said, I want you to understand that it was not but silver nor gold. But I want you to understand that you are what you are now because of the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ. Would you pray and ask the Lord to bless these words to our hearts tonight? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. God, would you stir it in our heart? You stir it in our heart. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Highly priced and rare and greatly esteemed and very powerful, very expensive, very unique, very rare, very unusual. It's, all these words is, is part of the definition of being precious. The reason why that gold costs 250 plus dollars an ounce it's because that most of us can't go in our backyard and dig around and find some. But if, if we all did, it wouldn't be too long and it would not be worth $250 ounce. But if we all had a little gold mine in our backyard, we'd be using gold in our semen for our sidewalk. But the reason why that it costs so much is because it's so rare. And it's so difficult to mine and so very expensive to refine and to work with. Peter said that, that the one thing that he wanted, he wanted us to understand is the fact that there was, this was no ordinary situation that brought us to where we are now.
the reason why we are what we are, it's by the grace of God and, and by the blood of that one that we call Christ, the precious blood. There's a lot of things in life that are precious. There are some memories in life that as long as we live, they'll always be more expensive than what money could, could uh, put value on them. I was in, in Louisiana a few weeks ago, and I noticed a couple visiting the second night I was there, and I felt like I was supposed to know them, but I couldn't think of their name. And I leaned over and asked the pastor if he, you know, what was their names, and he told me their name, and then I remembered who they were. And then he said, have you, have you heard about their, their great loss? said, no, I've not heard what's, what's happened. What, what, what did they lose? He said they had a little girl about two and a half months old. And in the afternoon one day, she began to show some signs of being just a little bit irritable. And then after that, there was a fever. And then just a couple of days after that, there was a funeral. And that little two-and-a-half-month-old baby girl was gone. When, when he told me that, I thought, naturally, I thought about my children, and I thought about the hurt that the couple must be feeling, how very sad. And, and then he leaned over again and he said, But Art, not only, not only the loss of the child is, is so difficult, but said it's the only child they had and there can't ever be another one. But said they're only in their mid-twenties, but they'll never have another child. And when, when he told me that, I, I found myself sitting there praying, asking God to somehow give me a word or, or something to say that might could reach out and touch their hearts. They had the Holy Ghost, but still... My heart went out to them, the only child they ever had. And not only is it the only one they've ever had, it's the only one they'll ever have. And somewhere in the future, they'll look back and they'll talk about their daughter as though they had her for a long time. But they really only had her for about two and a half months. They're going to remember every little diaper, every little pink dress that she had and little booties that she wore. And it's going to be so precious. It's going to be so very, very dear, so expensive to them. In fact, if you would not know, probably when, the, when you'd hear them talk, you would think that the child lived for years and years and years. But actually, a lifetime of happiness, they... They crammed it in just two and a half months, and that's all they got to talk about. It's all they have to remember. That's the only story they have is just a few pages long, and that's all there is. So rare, so very, very precious, I'm sure, is the memory of that little baby girl. The Lord told Abraham, said, I want you to go and and find one of your 14 boys and take them on top the hill. He didn't say that. 
But he said, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, the only son that you and Sarah have. I want you to take the boy and take him yonder on the hill. And this this is the one that that uh, his coming, it angels got involved and giggling was a part of the background of his his arrival and then then that great day when that boy was born and it, it defied nature and, and Isaac, your only son, the boy that you love so very much, that, that precious boy in him is supposed to be the, the future nations of the world and you take just that one boy, your only boy, take Isaac, that precious one, the rare one, and, and he was rare. And you you take him on top the hill and and prepare to take his life, because that's what I'm asking you to do. Take take your only son. In fact, the scriptures say God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the only begotten son he had. That 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 only one, the only child that rare one, that precious one. There's so many things in life, and there's so many things in your life, if we had time, at random, I could choose any, any, any of you out there, and you could stand and tell about some moment in your, in your life that, that is so very, very rare, and so expensive, and so precious. It's only been a month ago that I was in the hospital, and they, they rushed my son home, and I didn't know he was coming until just a few hours, and suddenly around my bed, they was all gathered, and it was on a, on a Monday night, and, and Tuesday was to, to be the day that they would decide on what would be done and what would need to be done. And I remember it was time for them all to leave, and they all kissed me goodbye, or good night, not, not goodbye, but good night. They all went to the door, and then when they got to the door, my, my oldest girl had kissed me once already. And she got to the door, and she kind of hesitated, and stood there just a moment, and turned around and come back. And Deborah kissed me again the second time and said, I love you, Daddy. Good night. And then she just stood there and kind of, kind of like she had something to say and didn't know how to say it. And then she turned and she walked away and got to the door and stopped. Turned around and come back, leaned across the bed and on the other side of my face she kissed me again. And she said, I love you, Daddy. Good night. And I heard later that on the way home, she kind of, out of a real quiet car, she spoke up and she said, I wonder if it would have been okay. And my wife said, okay to do what? She said, you know, there's a cot in that room. And there was a little cot there for someone to spend the night of their light to. And she said, ah. I wonder would it, would it have been okay if I would have stayed all night just to be close to Dad tonight. 
Then she said, no, I guess I guess I ought to go home. And then I heard later that that, uh, that night, my bed wasn't near empty, but my bed had my wife, and then, then next to her was my 18-year-old daughter, and on the other, on the other side of her was my 10-year-old daughter, and then my big ball walked on the floor, and I didn't know all that was going on. They told me it was routine, you know. But all that was, but when, when I heard all that, I have to admit to you that it meant something very, very special to me. In fact, I felt like it was a kind of a rare experience, a very precious moment. And after all the tests were concluded, you can, you can almost guess who was the second one to kiss me. And it, uh, to you, it's just sound like a whole bunch of being sentimental, and perhaps it is. Maybe I'm homesick. But it, it meant a whole lot to me. And, and I, I'm sure that everybody here could tell a story about a mom or a dad or a boy or a daughter or a friend that, that there's no way that you can consider them as being ordinary. There's no way you can consider them as being just something that you could buy at any, any TGMI or Kmart, but something very precious, something that really means and has a very very dear and a very deep feeling in, in your heart toward it. When Peter wrote, he could not just talk about the blood, but he had to talk about, he had to talk about a precious blood. He had to talk about a precious blood. I don't know where he got his clue, and maybe you do, and, and if you do, I, I wouldn't even mind you explaining it to me after, after service. But somewhere way back in Genesis, one boy made a mistake, and the other boy pleased God. And the one boy took the, the produce of the field and offered it to God as a sacrifice. And, but the Bible said that the sacrifice did not please God. And where the wisdom come from, where the thought, you know, had its beginning, I don't know, but... But Abel, instead of offering produce, he offered an animal. A long time before Paul ever said that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Way before Paul, Abel somehow felt like that the way to please God would be to offer life and to, to spill blood. That he felt like if he did that. If you take that lamb, take that animal, and spill its blood, that he felt like that uh, he would have a very good opportunity of impressing the Lord and, and finding favor in the sight of God, and Abel did. He took that, that lamb, and he slew it, and spilled the blood, and it was the beginning of a river of blood. When Abel spilled the, the blood of that sacrifice, it was a tributary that, that, that found its way into a mainstream that developed into a river 
a blood that flowed from Genesis all the way through Malachi, and it got almost neck deep in times. Blood was not rare, but for a long time, for many, many years, men trying to, to please God, trying to obey God, asking God to do certain things for them, when they wanted a burden bearer, they would bring to him a bullock, and it was to represent a burden bearer. And when they spilled the blood of that bullock, they was asking God, would you help share my load? Would you help carry my burden? And Abel began a, 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 a river that that gathered in volume, gathered in size, gathered in flow. And all the while, men was asking God to do something for them. Yet, and with all the blood being spilled, it was, it was always just a temporary situation. For every drop of blood only was a, a representative of a lamb which was to come. But all through the Old Testament, blood everywhere. In fact, it must have been on some occasions a gory-looking mess because blood was so deep and so plentiful. It was not rare, no sir. That night when the death angel sneaked its way through Egypt, and took the sons of all the Egyptians, and took that boy from each house. That same night, the Lord spoke to the Israelites and said, I, I want each family to, to, to kill and to, to, to sacrifice a lamb, and take that blood and, and put it there on the doorpost. And I wonder, have you ever stopped just to consider how many lambs it took. But see, that one night, just that one night, 233,000 lambs were slain that night. And before the morning began to brighten, 87,000 gallons of blood have been spilled just the night before they left Egypt. And there was blood everywhere you looked, there was blood. 87,000 gallons. It was not rare. It was not hard to locate. But you could smell the blood. You could see the, the, the death in, in, in 87,000 gallons. And, and really, compared to what the future would unfold, that 87,000 gallons was almost nothing compared to what was yet to come. But you see, there was to be a river of blood to flow all the way through the Old Testament. And all that blood ever did was to roll and to tumble and to push men's problems ahead didn't really solve anything, just prolonged situations. When all the while blood run deep. When David, at the end of his reign, the Bible said that, 
They made a sacrifice of gladness. And they gathered around and David reminisced of what the Lord had done for him. And then he stood there and highly recommended his son to follow after him. It was a joyous occasion. It was a time of gladness. And then it was a time of sacrifice. They called it a sacrifice of gladness. And when, when they began to make their sacrifice, they slew 1,000 bullets. And by the time they, they corralled that herd of bullets and then spilled their blood and offered that blood and that meat as a sacrifice, they had already spilled 190,000 gallons of blood. In fact, uh, history says that they had to even change locations one time because the ground on which they sacrificed become so soggy and so gooey. And it was just a, a bloody, gory sight to behold. And then David said, that's not enough. And on top of all the bullock, then they piled a thousand lambs on top of that. And 3,700 gallons more of blood was added to all the blood that the bullock had spilled. And all the while, men were saying, God, we want somehow to, to work out some kind of a agreement with you. We want the load lifted. We want the, the guilty feeling moved. Somehow we are trying to please you. We're trying to find a way of being happy and in, in, in a way of knowing you are happy with us. Blood, 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 blood. Solomon built the temple. Oh, what a gory sight that must have been. Can you imagine a herd of 22,000 oxen? Can you imagine how many cowboys it took to herd them? And then to... Then to to sacrifice them? Did you, did you ever stop to realize that before the sacrifice of the oxen was over, they had sacrificed 418,500 gallons of blood? And all this to, to dedicate a house to God, almost a half million gallons of ox blood alone. There was enough blood to fill the auto, automobile paints of 20,000 cars. There was enough blood to fill 20,000 paints that would normally carry gas. Blood was not rare, no sir. In fact, it was rare if you could walk through the ceremonial area without staining yourself with all the blood and the smell and the stench and the sounds and, and the dying and the struggle and the hurting and the corralling and 418,000 gallons of blood. 
And Solomon said, no, that's, that, won't, that won't be enough. And then he offered 120,000 sheep. And I hope I'm not boring you, but I'd like to just show you something. On one occasion, just, just that one dedication of Solomon's temple, there was over a half million gallons of blood. Blood, 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 everywhere, blood, blood. What are you doing? Trying to appease God, trying to, to make him happy, trying to entice his blessing, trying to get loose from the grips and the grabbing of carnality on our lives, trying desperately to please him, and they did it with 500,000 gallons of blood. It's a lot of blood. Elijah, when he stood on top of Mount Carmel, he not only put stone together for an altar, he not only put wood on the altar, but he also cut and laid on the altar a bullock and then the, the wood and the stone was drenched with seven gallons of blood. Blood, 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 blood. And then Isaiah stood in the midst of that tidal wave of blood flowing all the way through the Old Testament. And Isaiah, that, that man that understood doctrine and longed to, to be able to talk doctrine to somebody, he said one time, I'd like, to, I'd like to talk to you about doctrine, but your tables are filled with your own vomit. Finally, Isaiah stood in the midst of a river of blood and shook his head this way and said, don't you know, don't you realize, can't you understand, God is not delighted in the blood of bullets. Don't you realize there's something more, there's something more powerful, there's something much more expensive, there's something much more rare than the millions upon millions upon millions of gallons of blood being spilled over and over and over. And Isaiah is saying, don't you understand? Don't you understand? God is not delighted in the blood of birth. Blood, blood, blood. Nothing rare about the blood. But now Isaiah whispered that it's, it's going to take something more powerful than this. I was, I was driving a few weeks ago, a couple, two, three weeks ago, and a news bulletin come on the radio. Said we have a very urgent need and we'd like to ask if there's someone in, in our listening audience that could help us, would you please do so? Said in Charity Hospital in New Orleans, said we have a little girl with leukemia 
Not only does she have leukemia, but she also has smallpox. And she needs blood real bad. And they said, if there's someone out there that can meet these qualifications, would you please help her? So first of all, you have to be 15 years old or younger. Secondly, you have to have old negative blood. Thirdly, you have to have had small pots in the last three months. And fourthly, you have to be willing to give three hours of your time. So we could screen you and to see if you really have what this child needs. When I heard that, I thought every statement the commentator made, she, she stacked the percentages against that child. First of all, 15 years or younger, not many kids know too much about giving blood. Few would. And then secondly, it had to be all negative. And if I understand right, that's a scarce, a very, very scarce. And so that's two strikes against you. You might have leukemia, but you're not. Percentages are heavy against you. And then third, the donor would have had to have had small pots. In the last three months, can you imagine a, a, a prerequisite like that? I thought, what chance does she have? The rare, the rare, the rare blood, the unusual person, the unusual sets, plural, sets of circumstances that would have to all come together to find the person I can help that darn child. But all the blood spilled from Genesis to Malachi still, there had to be a unique and a special and a precious blood. It was not to be the blood of birds. It was not to be the blood of sheep or oxen that was washed away sin, no. There had to be a lamb, just one lamb, just one lamb. And the Bible said this one lamb was prepared even before the foundations of the world. Can you imagine a half million gallons of blood being spilled on earth and at the same time somewhere in glory? Somewhere in eternity, the components, even from before the foundation of the world, God begin to put together, begin to design, and put the proper components together to bring about a, a man-child that would have the, the correct components and, and everything will be just so until finally his spirit overshadowed a, a, a young lady. The Bible said that his spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived. And 
there's a lot more conception itself a miracle but not only the miracle of conception but actually it placed in her body a rare and a precious and a unusual blood that had been put together from before the foundation of the world. Praise God! Praise God! In that body, born to earth in a stable, the angels said, call his name Jesus, but in that body there flowed blood not like the blood of any other blood that ever run hot in the history of mankind. It was a special blood. It was a rare blood. It was a very expensive blood. It was a precious blood. At the age of 12, when he appeared there in the temple, and the wise men and the, the men of learning asked questions, and that 12-year-old boy stood there and answered them. And they was amazed because he had answers to their scholarly questions. I wish I'd have been there. I would like to tap them on the shoulder the hair wise guy, if you think his answers are something, I wish you could understand what he has flowing on the inside of him right now. Oh yeah. But you see by now, by now, not a half million gallons, but by now, at 12 years old, you probably had about six pints of the most precious blood ever carried in a body in the history of mankind. He not only had the answers here, but those men didn't realize popping all through his body with six little pints of the most valuable blood ever put together at any time. Oh, precious blood, blood, holy esteem, blood, praise God, praise God. He walked through life, and by the time he was 33 years old, he walked around in dangerous areas, he walked where thieves would hide out, he was in the sea, when the storm caused the waters to be turbulent. By that time in that body, in that sinless body, by then there was slashing around inside of him 13 measly pints, 13 little bitty pints of blood, but don't sell it short. Now, sir, it might not compare with the 400,000 gallons at Solomon's house. But inside that body, that 33-year-old body, was about 13 
pints of the most valuable and the most precious blood ever carried in a body. And then finally at Calvary, his hands outstretched and that blood run down his face and it trickled out of his hands and, and out of his legs. And, and, and that pumped that heart inside. It just kept on squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. And finally, it reached way down and found that last little cup full and pushed it out. And when he did, Jesus said, Now it's finished. It's finished. You know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. He meant I have just now filled my last drop, and it was only 13 pints. Let me tell you something. Each drop of blood brought me a million years. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every time each drop of blood hit the ground, it shook generations. For years to come, what a precious blood, what a precious blood, what a precious blood. Only 13 points, just 13 points. Hallelujah. That's the reason why Peter said it's not just a whole bunch of plasma, it's not a whole bunch of white. And whatever they call them, I don't know. But there's more than that. It's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Young people, let me tell you something. There is tonight another river flowing through this land that if you are not careful, it'll turn your face away from Calvary. If you're not real careful, you'll be swayed by the half million and you will overlook the 13 pints if you're not real careful. I said, there's a great onslaught right now. This world has its propositions, has its cures for anything and everything, and they all exclude, none of them include his blood. They, they just simply claim to have the answers to everything without his blood. Be careful. Yes, there is, there's a, there's a tidal wave, there's a great river flowing through America today, promising everything and producing nothing. That's right. A few years ago, a man by the name of Dr. Spock, I think it was, had the idea he knew how to raise children. He not only pinned his thinking on raising children, but he gave birth to a permissive generation. That's right. You know, nowadays they got the answers from the test tube baby all the way 
to a utopia somewhere in the future and they claim to have all the answers for everything. But actually, it's a whole bunch of soggy ox blood. That's all it is. The promiscuous day that we live in and it's supposed to produce happiness. It was supposed to unhook us from our hang-ups. It was supposed to give to us freedom from our uh, anxieties. But instead, it's produced a hundred million frustrated souls and a hundred million mentally sick. And it was supposed to be the cure for everything. You know, if you like it, do it. You know, just just uh, swing with the music, move with the flow, get with the rhythm, don't worry about nothing. And that was supposed to cure everything. I'm trying my best tonight to show to you young people I know what's out there we know what's out there it's a, a flood it's a river of propositions but no productivity it's produced a situation that you can't even believe I had to close a high school recently in New Jersey because they had, a, they had an epidemic. And the epidemic was so severe, they locked the doors. Was it the mumps? No, it wasn't the mumps. It was suicide. Junior high school and this permissive society when, when, you know, when we are supposed to breathe the air and float into some kind of an unreal happiness state. But a junior high school, one little boy committed suicide. And the next day they all gathered in their little groups at school and they tried to figure out why did he commit suicide. Each little group had their own discussion. One group decided that he did it because he was lonely. And then they began to describe what loneliness was. What did loneliness mean? And when they defined it and, and just discussed it real thoroughly, there was another youngster in that little group that, that the longer he listened, the more he began to think, that's what's wrong with me. Actually, I feel the way he did. And so the second youngster went home that night and did the same thing the first one did and took his life. And they all come back the third day, and you know what happened. And they went seven days in a row until finally they had to lock the school doors to try and break the rhythm, break the spell. But you see, a promiscuous society, a dual society, was only bringing young boys and girls to a quick, horrible 
suicidal death. Yet it rose to the land and it's supposed to do it all. Supposed to do so much, but it does so little. They have one of our senior senators chasing his aide around the underground parking lot just a few weeks ago. A man that been in Congress for many, many years. And the guy is so, so drunk, he pulls out his pocket knife and chases his administrative aide all over the parking lot, cussing and screaming and drunk and trying to stab his closest aide. Just, just two weeks ago, I walked into a, to a hospital and there, there sat an old man, been there all afternoon. And he sat there kind of, kind of tired. That old man mortgaged his house 30 years ago to build the church that I pastor now. And he sat there with a, with a growth of whiskers on his face and so weary, bone weary, I could tell. I walked over and I patted him on his knee, called him by his name, and I said, uh, it's, it's going to be okay, it'll be all right, and I'm going to go see your granddaughter, and I'll come back and tell you how she's doing. And he looked at me so sad and so dejected. He said, Pastor, do you really think it's going to be okay? And I said, we just have to have faith that it will be. Went down the hall, turned into a room, and when I did, there lying on the bed was, a, was just a child herself, 15 years old, matured physically, but mentally just a little girl, just, just a child. And I walked in that room, and she had just miscarried her baby. 15 years old and she looked at that moment she looked like she was 7 years old and I knew it was a traumatic moment I didn't want to upset her I sat by her side and I held her hand and we just talked and I tried to explain to her what she was facing and how things would be in the back of my mind, I was as angry as, a, as I could be because I realized what put that child there, what put her there is that crazy philosophy that's moving through our land that says, everything's all right, but it's not all right. I wish you would have seen her. And I sat there and I held her hand and finally she said, and I, it's beautiful, old girl. Her eyes got real big, and she said, like she was that big. She said, but I think I get what you're telling me. said, I think I understand what you're saying. She said, what you're saying is, yesterday I was a 15-year-old grown person, but now today, for some reason that we don't know anything about, I'm a 15-year-old little girl again. Is that what you're saying? And I called her by her name and I said, what I'm trying to tell you, 
We don't know the ways of God. But I said you can go home from this room and go home just a youngster again if you dare to do it. You are right now. You are just a little girl again. You're not a mama to be. You're just a little girl. When I left that room between that door and her grandpa, I felt like rolling my fist and whipping and kicking and anybody come close to me. I felt like screaming and saying, I don't like what's happening and I don't like what's happening. It's, it's, it's a river of permissiveness. Everything's alright. If that's supposed to produce happiness. Two kids said, I can't smoke pot. And the daddy said, no pot. They said, we want pot. And the daddy said, no pot. So, what did they do? You know, big old river going through the, through the land. What did they do? They went out and they hired a hitman. They hired a killer. They paid him $60 on credit. They said, we don't have the 60 bucks now, but we'll get it after you do your job. said, all you have to do is to shoot our daddy, and then we'll pay you. And the hitman walked in and shot the dad, and then the, the man's children went through his pocket, found his wallet, and, and while he laid there bleeding, paid the killer three $20 bills. And then the kid said, now we are free. We are free. We can do what we want to do now. And everything tells us we have the right to do what we want to do. Now we can do what we want to do. 300,000 people answered a good housekeeping questionnaire. And of the 300,000 that replied, 76% said the family is in trouble. And then, then they asked the question, second to your parents, what is the biggest influence in your life? They got mama and daddy, and then after them, what is number two influence in your life? And 87% answered that the second greatest influence in their lives was television. 87% said it's mama and it's daddy, and then it's TV. Whatever happened to God? Where is Jesus? But number two was TV. A lecturer stood at a symposium for theologians, uh, uh, teachers, uh, a seminar, a theology seminar. And the lecturer at the conclusion of his lecture, that doctor of theology said, I'd like to close with just one statement. What ever has happened to sin? Does anybody know where sin went? 
He said, we ask you, theologians, what's happened to sin? Nowadays, everything's all right. What's happened to sin is like a rolling, tumbling river. And all it is is a whole bunch of bullocks. That's all it is. It's a whole bunch of soggy promises but produces nothing at all. Moving to our land. It's an entertaining hour. And our young people, peer pressure, tells them they have to get in the mainstream and get involved in all the entertainment. Don't believe them. Don't believe them. One boy said, man, don't you know we have gone from the bump to the disco? I said, huh? Say, yeah. So we have gone from the bump to the disco. I said, no, we haven't. I said, I just bought a new car. And I got a bumper on the front. And I got a bumper on the back. He said, man, you way out. So what are you about? And he was talking about some kind of silly dance. It's just the rhythm and the beat and the music and the sound and the light and the movement and the and the and the pausing. This is an entertainment crazy world. Multiplied billions of dollars being spent just to buy a giggle. Right? Big money and and, and, and we say here it is, and they say, what do you want me to tell Just make me laugh. Make me feel good. Here's my money. It's like a river going through this land. Materialistic. Materialistic. Don't fall for the propaganda of the capitalists. This thing is not getting better. It's getting worse. Yeah. They'll tell you high school seniors and you college students, they'll tell you that in your lifetime, the average income is going to be $112,000 a year. That's what they tell you and probably is right. But what they don't tell you, when you buy your gallon of milk, it'll cost you $13. What they don't tell you is your loaf of bread will be $2.50. What they don't tell you is the average house is going to cost $314,000. So if you're hitching your cart to a capitalistic dream, if you're hitching your cart the bonds and tear down those bonds and build a new bonds. You are hitched to the wrong future. There's no future there at all. Somebody mentioned tonight about a peace treaty. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Peace treaty used to be that the United States 
to make this peace in the world by force. But now we gain whatever peace we can on our knees. It's the politics of pleading nowadays. Peace treaty. Two enemies have decided to be friends. If we give them five billion dollars, that's not treaty, that's blackmail. And the reason why we give the five billion, because they have what we need and they know it. It's become the politics of embarrassment, not the politics of force. Oh, if you build in your future, young boy, young man, if you build in your future, young lady, on a world that politically is supposed to get better, you're fooling yourself. It's not going to get better. All it's doing is rolling through the land. It's tumbling you down the, the stream, but not really doing anything. Promises, promises, promises. The church world, oh, it's so dry. The church world, when you go to the churches up there, it's, uh, uh, you, you feel like at the door they give you a hymnal and, and a program and a half pound of cotton. And they say, put it in your mouth and on your way out, we'll extract it. Dry, cold, and dead. One, one, one place in Miami, if I had a special promotion Sunday, what it was, you could not sit in their pew unless you wrote a check for $2,000 or you didn't sit in their pew that Sunday. That's what's out there. I'm talking about the stained glasses and the big steeples and, and all this stuff. It's dry, dry, dry. One church is hired a full-time psychologist. You go to your pastor and say, Pastor, I have a problem. And he'll ask you, which category is your problem in? And then you tell him and he says, Either the second door on your left or the third door on your right, you know. Church world, church world, they even abuse the word church. And it reaches out for you and reaches out for me. It's a whole bunch of bullock. That's what it is. That's all it is. 76% of the American population has gone on record and said church is not even important. You can go if you want to, but you don't really have to. One young man went to New York City on a, on a vacation, and his host on a Saturday night took him to see a Broadway show, Hello, Dolly. And then the next morning was Sunday, and his host took him to one of these cotton-mouth churches. When he come back home, 
His friends asked him, said, well, did they have a good time? I said, oh, I had a great time. I said, did you go to church? Oh, yeah, I went to church. I said, did you, did you like it? He said, let me, let me tell you about it. He said, on Saturday night, I went to see Hello, Dolly. And then Sunday morning, I went to church. If they both would have given the same kind of invitation, he said, I would have given my heart to Hello, Dolly. He said, it made more sense than Sunday morning did. No feeling, cold, dry, dead. Let me tell you something else is going down to this world. The occult. Our young people are really being fooled by the accounts. The moonies and the goonies and the jumpers and all that. But you know what? I said all that to say this. You need to also be concerned not only about the accounts out there, but you need to be careful for the accounts inside. Now, let's see what's going to happen. But there is a great flood tide of accounts moving through the church. If they are not in the mainstream of Christian, they're not in the mainstream of Scripture, they're way left or way right, and either way is dangerous. It might be my last night here, but I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Too far left. That humbugger. Anything you do is alright. No, it's not. And I'm not fussing. I'm pleading with you. It's not alright. It's not alright. Not alright. And a couple moved to my town, and I went to see them just recently. And, and I, I heard their name, and I didn't think I knew them. I went and knocked on their door. They've been in town three weeks. I knocked on their door, and the man come out, and he looked at me and said, Praise the Lord for the odds, and hug my neck. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I do know him. I didn't. And then his wife come to the door and I, I knew her immediately. I stayed in her, or I visited in her home when she was a girl. After church, the preacher and his wife and, and a group of us went to her mom and dad's home for fellowship after church. But when I looked at her just recently, and I looked at her, and I was so startled. She had beads on her neck, and her hair was all cut and frizzed up and makeup on. And when I looked at her, it slipped. I didn't mean to, but I said, I know you. I know you. I said, your daddy sells all state insurance, don't he? She said, you remember that? I said, yeah, it's been 15 years ago, but, but I was in your house. And I kept on looking at her. 
And they sat there and explained to me how that they still had the love of God in their heart, but they had found some new things. I talked to him for a long time, and then I said, how about, let's go eat dinner, okay? And I went out that night, the four of us, and cost me 40 bucks, and still, the best I could do so far, as far as I know, they are convinced that this idea of standards is not really necessary, that they got way off on the side, and now all the precious truth at their reign is a child. They don't believe them anymore. They are cowards. I say that with kindness and aggressiveness. The accounts the way to the left. He said, I want you to know something still counts. And they're always going to count. And they always have counted. And they still count today. We must be holy. But don't misunderstand me, I'm just as opposed to the far right. When they get way out in right field, that they are holier than God. And they know more than Scripture ever thought about knowing. And they don't read between the lines, they write between the lines. I have one of those guys come to my place, and I didn't know, but he was a deserter. And I kept on trying to find some place in Scripture where, where they did it the way he was doing it. I couldn't find it. And, and I don't know what happened, but about the second night, his, I don't know, his, his, his antenna broke or something. But he couldn't discern nothing. And he'd stand there and he'd say, mmm, look at me. And I thought, buddy, if you think I'm going to tell you, you, you're going to bite your tongue. I won't tell you nothing. But all this way out stuff, you know, the kidney problems, mm, you're going to back problems. That's a whole lot of bullock. That's all that is. But you know what? Situated on the bank, of that flood tide of modernism on the bank of that flood tide of an economic promise of a political disaster of a promiscuous society sitting there on the side of the bank is something greater than government something more powerful than OPEC something more powerful than medical science something greater than astrology, something taller than Dow Jones averages, sitting on the side of the river uh, that flows through this land. It's still powerful. It's still great. It's called, even though it's rare, it's called the church. Hallelujah. 
And the reason why it's still so potent, just sneak over there, and if you crack the door just a little bit, if you're not careful, you get an eye fall. Just ease on over there. Get out of the mainstream and all that mess. And poop inside the church. And when you do, you're going to see still splashing from wall to wall, from pulpit to pew, from carpet to ceiling. You're going to still see 13 little pints of blood from wall to wall and feeling the floor. It's still the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! It is precious blood! Precious blood! Precious blood! Valuable blood! Rare blood! Powerful blood! Oh, hide me beneath the blood. Wash me in the blood. Praise God. It's still in the church. A great preacher 50 years ago, wanting desperately to feed his flock, he went into his closet and prayed. He said, Lord, I, wanna, I want you to give me something fresh. Give me something new to feed my flock. He stayed there several days and he fasted and prayed and dedicated and consecrated and asking God, I got a big flock of your sheep and I want to feed them something new, something fresh. Give me something for your sheep. And all of a sudden, he did. And when he did, he stood up and he tidied up his, his clothing, walked out to the pulpit, and he looked at his master congregation. It was old, but it was new. It was old, but it was fresh. He said, when, when, when sin and sadness whisper to you that there's no need for you to pray, he said, just look away to Calvary, and when you do, you're going to see a crimson stream of blood. Praise God! Praise God! Hallelujah! Hard be the blood! Hide me in the blood! Hide me in the blood! The precious blood of Jesus Christ! Aren't you glad for that blood? Hallelujah! 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 You are what you are tonight because of 13 pints. Just 13 pints. <laughs> and they slaughtered all their oxen and God said go ahead and kill all those oxen but I got something out here for you and they moved on down a few hundred years and he watched that soggy mess and he said just it's not time yet but I, I got something for you 
not a whole big volume, but but it's so powerful. <laughs> they looked at that little boy and they said, uh-uh. Said it just no. Found found the little boy's daddy out in the hall crying like a little boy, crying like a baby. The doctor took that man by his shoulders and shook him. I said, you got to get a hold of yourself. You got a wife that's very sick at death. And you have a, you have a, a son that you're going to have to help your wife adjust to the idea that he is nothing. He has no future. That, that big man squared his shoulders and shook away the tears. The doctor said, if that boy lives, he'll never walk. He won't ever talk. He'll never see. He'll be in your lap or mama's lap or grandma's lap, somebody's lap the rest of his life. See? Just, just, he won't make it. He won't make it. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, just from the east to the west, from the north to the south, I don't know which way, but a little bit of that 13 pints hung over his head and dripped just a few drops and got all tangled up in that family got all mixed up in that little boy. That little boy laid there with his, with his back curved backwards like a horseshoe. And then that 13 little pints just, 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 just a little bit, didn't take a whole lot. See, it's precious, got lots of value, lots of power. Just a little bit. <laughs> And when it got all tangled up, it took a little boy that was a nobody and had no promise at all. You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about me. If I die tomorrow, please weep for my wife, weep for my children, but don't cry for me. Because, see, I'm the one that had nothing. I was the nobody that had not even a promise. I had nothing. And here I stand with 43 years of everything. Don't, don't cry for me. Oh, no. You see, the blood got involved with me some kind of way. And when it did... It made a nobody a somebody. <laughs> Who would have ever dreamed that 43 years later that the daddy would be dead and that the mama is sitting at that boy's table eating the food that he supplies. Who would have dreamed 43 years ago that, 
that ball would be 4,000 miles from home, being honored and blessed, fortunate to preach to somebody like you folks. And I see you, and I'm walking, and I'm talking. Don't cry when I'm gone. I've already had more than I was supposed to have. And the reason why I do is because of this 13 little pints of blood. I don't know what you need. I don't know which philosophy or which area of life you all mixed up in. Economic, political, promiscuous, church world. I don't know where you are, but if you need something, just stand still long enough and, and just throw just a, just a few precious drops of his blood. Hallelujah! And when it does, it'll change your life. <laughs> Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. Thank God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. And young person, all the things that the world is promising you and can't produce. And I kid you not, the things that the world promises you and can't produce, they are the self-same things that the blood promises and can produce. It can give you happiness. It can give you peace of mind. It can give you joy. It can give you a home. It can give you health. It can give you happiness. It can give you compatibility. Everything they claim to have, you can find it in 13 pints of blood. Shall we all stand? Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a good hand clap. Hallelujah. 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 Hey, mama. Hey, mama. Mother. If there's a mother here tonight and you got problems with your boy, 
Hey, mother, you here tonight? You got problems with your 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 children? Just stand there a moment in 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 this kind of atmosphere. Just open your heart right where you are, and let Him give you just a little bit of His blood. Everything will be all right if you just get the proper understanding of that blood at Calvary. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I passed through the prayer room one night. A little bitty skinny lady kneeling down. Oh, she was praying, weeping, crying. And all she was saying in the midst of her tears, she was saying, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. And it, it, it really got a hold of me. I went over and knelt down beside her. I said, can, can I help you pray? So that it seemed like you're just pouring your insides out. <laughs> Can I, can I share your, your, your burdens? Can I help you pray? Oh, she said, Pastor, if you would, I'd appreciate it. She said, my, my boys in Vietnam. And she said, they're dying all around. They're dying everywhere. Dying. And she said, I'm, I'm here praying pleading the blood to protect my boy. When she said that, I couldn't help but, but feel the contrast. She was telling me that her boy was somewhere in a rice paddy in Vietnam with blood everywhere. Because she said his buddies and his troops are dying all around him. So there must have been blood and broken bones and just everywhere. Blood was not scarce. It was too much of a sin. But here she was 10,000 miles away asking for more blood but a different kind of blood. A different kind of blood. And I knelt there and I just, I just kind of got the alto, the husoprana and together we just Plead the blood, plead the blood, plead the blood. I wonder if there's someone here tonight, you need something from God. If you do, there is a crimson stream of blood flowing through this place tonight. Flowing through this place tonight. Flowing from Calvary. Usually in a crowd like this, if you just give them half a chance, everybody comes and it don't mean much of nothing. You know. Let me say that over again, maybe. Usually in a crowd like this, everybody comes and few really do anything when they come. Just kind of have it, ritual. I, 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 I don't want that tonight. 
But if there's somebody here that you feel a need to reassociate yourself with Calvary, if you feel a need for just a few drops of that blood on you fresh tonight, new consecration, whatever the need might be, while we sing, I'd like to ask you, and I'm sure there's dozens of you, but I hope when you come you realize you're not slushing in 400,000 gallons of ox blood. No, sir. You're tiptoeing through 13 pints of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If there's anything sticky around here, it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If you need something of ours, you are get it tonight. I always sing. <laughs>